every industry and type of organization has been affected by C-19, few organizations more so than nonprofits. Meeting schedules have been disrupted and delayed, key sponsors and donors have been hit hard, and many nonprofits rely upon volunteers who have their own business issues to deal with. Our guest says a plan for the now and the next is more important than ever, and there are lessons for the corporate side of the ledger too. It's nonprofit expert Elisa Brewer-Pratt on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. Even in this time of crisis, actually, especially in a time of crisis, there is an enormous opportunity for business owners, managers, professionals of all stripes who look to not only survive, but grow. One of the most direct and effective ways to pivot your business is by changing the way you and everyone else talk about it. That's where my work as an author, professional speaker, and consultant comes in. On this podcast, we're here to help you with ideas for the three necessary components for managing your message. First, creating the message itself, meaning the words, stories, insights, and evidence you want your customers and prospects to know about. Second, equipping and growing your network of messengers, the people who can help you share that message. And third, having the management habits that will shape your culture and turn your improvements into an everyday business advantage. When you bring those pieces together, you will very likely enjoy improvements in revenue, market share, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. I take you through that process in more detail in my new book, available from Career Press. It's titled, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it in paperback, Kindle, and audio versions wherever great business books are sold. You can also find a free sample on my website, jimcar.com. We bring all of this together for you because, simply put, it's much easier to grow your business all over again when you are a message manager. The world of nonprofits is especially rocky these days. You're likely involved with one or more nonprofits already, industry associations, community groups, alumni groups, and others. So you know how valuable they are and the pressures upon them. Many rely on meetings and conferences for both revenue and connections. Fundraising has in many cases hit a wall, at least for the short term. What can and should nonprofits be doing? And are there any lessons that translate into the for-profit corporate world as well? Our guest today has some guidance. Elisa Brewer-Pratt is a nonprofit rock star, an engagement and membership lifecycle expert, and strategic advisor to 501c organizations of all shapes and sizes. She's the founder of Brewer-Pratt Solutions. Elisa specializes in architecting and implementing custom solutions that transform organizations and increase their relevance. Elisa's credentials include a Certified Association Executive, CAE, credential, from the American Society of Association Executives, and a master's degree from Johns Hopkins University. In the new world of 
COVID-19, Elisa is working with both nonprofit and corporate clients to survive, pivot, and succeed. Elisa, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about the association and the organizational world, like so many of us are in a real fundamental area of, of change and uncertainty with the pandemic, but we can also talk about how organizations of all stripes can adjust and, and assess what they're doing uh, right now and make sure that they're positioned for what will be a rebound, which will be a comeback, which may take different forms, right, for different kinds of organizations. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jim. Elisa, your sweet spot, your expertise is in the association world, as we mentioned a, a bit in the intro. And a lot of listening to well, frankly, at least listening to some people uh, that are like me who are in the speaking and consulting and coaching and training worlds, you know, they look at associations in terms of the near term. Are they are they going to be getting together? And, and, and what are they going to be doing in terms of their regional meetings, annual meetings, planning and that sort of thing? You have a bigger perspective on associations as well. So I wonder just as a as a start, what are you hearing today in terms of association leaders is they're talking about how they handle the immediate disruption and what they're going to be doing in terms of making decisions about being kind of back on something like a normal schedule. And then I think we can talk in a little bit about some of the what's been happening in recent years that have brought associations to where they are now. And then we can look at, at what they do in the future. But what are the things that you're hearing the most from organizational leaders as they try to figure out how to best adjust in the near term. Well, you're right, Jim. This is so much more than just in-person meetings and how to pivot them to online and, and digital, digital platforms. Nonprofits are mission-driven organizations, whether they represent individuals or professionals in a certain industry, or even companies, and their mission to impact and serve in those areas does involve bringing people together and networking or delivering education and content. But it's also about impacting those areas and serving that membership so that they too can be successful. And it's nonprofits, I think, are really at the, the root of crises like these in communities, in, in business, in schools and industry. I mean, these are the type of organizations that can bring companies together to donate boxes and boxes of masks to hospitals or even hospital associations to develop policies and, and adapt quickly in these type of circumstances. I work mostly with 501c3 and 501c6 organizations. And of course, those leaders are are reacting. They're, they're concerned about their revenue streams. They're concerned about their staff. And oftentimes I hear that they are having to innovate on the fly. In some cases, that means adapting and, and upgrading technologies or, or moving things in a direction that they had wanted to already. But this situation is causing people to move very quickly, not only with decisions, but with communications and with data. Two-week-old data is useless. And if you've left your staff or your members or donors waiting around for a week or two before a message, you know, you're, you're dying on the vine. So I think this whole situation for nonprofits, and it's not that dissimilar from the corporate world or the for-profit world, this is about speed and agility. 
and responsiveness. It's an interesting and I think very true point, Elisa, in that a lot of not-for-profits are in the business of, of helping other people in distress or helping other people with, with chronic problems. And <laughs> they're the ones who are in distress and with chronic problems as well. So they have to assess their own health. It, it's the put a mask on yourself before trying to put a, a mask on others type of advice that comes in, in many ways. And I certainly hear, whether it be, say, for fundraising teams, or program teams that are accustomed to the model of in-person fundraisers. They need to do longer-term program planning. And as you say, now all of a sudden that gets, the the Etch-A-Sketch has been shaken and the time pressure is far more different. So what are you seeing in general as well about how to especially with the leadership and working with their staff and with their community and with their donors and with their members of trying to at least keep them in the loop and communicate well during this time of, of we're, we're staying true to our mission. We're trying to keep connected with everyone. And here's where we could use your help and indulgence. Engaging with members and donors is not only more important, but more, more difficult than ever before. I think for, for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes. And the volunteer leaders, you know, we can't forget about those board members who are trying to save their own businesses and and work in their own professions while also serving on the boards of directors for nonprofits across the country. It's about over-communicating right now. I've broken it down into into three parts and, and, and really the assessment phase of all of this and understanding where your organization is most vulnerable what changes may or may not be required, and and what's happening to your donor base, your membership, your staff, and over-communicating during that phase of assessment. This is about transparency, and this is about leaders and the executives admitting that we've never been through this, and we are vulnerable. And I think presenting that story, sharing that humanity during your pursuit of of a mission, of a vision that a nonprofit might have is going to help you really resonate with, with your audience. Because let's be honest, there's more information out there right now. There's more noise between the news, between emails, between everything going online and webinar requests and, and all of it. There's more out there than ever before. And nonprofits have to compete with that now. So as you are looking to pivot your in-person meetings to online, it's it's about content. It's about standing out and diversifying those revenue streams. I am concerned about some of the organizations who relied on in-person meetings, conventions, trade shows for you know upwards of 30 or 40% of their annual revenue. That's going to be a major shift. Certainly nonprofits, whether it be uh, industry, trade associations, um, fundraising organizations, the different types of nonprofits have been under pressure for change before COVID-19, right? It's, it's uh, differences in communication styles of uh, where the GoFundMe mechanisms of the, of the world have played a more prominent role, differences in how people work and where they are and how they get together and training and learning and certification CE systems. All of those things and the value proposition, especially that associations have, have been under pressure for a while from external forces. So what have you seen coming up to this most recent time for 
of the pandemic, Elisa, that have been forcing some de- some degree of change and reassessment on the association world anyway. You know, it's interesting. After the 2008-2009 Great Recession, it took many, many years to recover, to allow nonprofits to rebuild their reserve, to really redefine who they were and get to a point of financial stability. And it feels like just these last two to three years, there there was a certain amount of success and comfort and stability. And that was allowing more and more organizations to start to open up to the technologies, to the innovations, to the shifts that oftentimes they are, they're late to the game on. And now to be hit with this, just as it seemed everyone was, was back to a certain amount of health is, is really uh, unfortunate. But whether this, it was going to be the next recession or, or something else, I, I work with a lot of organizations as it relates to strategic plans. And back in the day, strategic plans used to traditionally be five years long. Now, clients want maybe a two, three-year plan. And given the pandemic and and how quickly things are changing, I think old school and traditional strategic plans are, are out the window. And you're really looking at the necessity to assess, evolve, and plan in six, 12, maybe 18 month chunks. And along that with the the pressure to, as you say, let's change the planning process. So let's recognize that a five-year strategic plan is is pretty useless after year two, right? Because things do change so quickly. So it it sounds like both the duration of the strategic plan and even the the length of the process and the involvement oftentimes of, of so many people to drive so much consensus over an extended period of time to come to these strategic plans that forces were putting in, in pressure here with, with the leadership teams anyway. And as you say, whether it was going to be another economic downturn or something like a, a pandemic, which has hit us in, in unforeseen ways, is simply going to accelerate that and, uh, and, and focus those changes anyway. So, so let's Let's take a look at exactly what you're talking about and get a sense, uh, Elisa, from your standpoint of what organizations do now. <laughs> There's a lot of what now. You're right. Yeah. You talked about the, the process of assess, evolve, and recover. Maybe you could just take that through a little bit in sequence in some of the specific steps that you recommend and what that might look like for leadership teams. Absolutely. Well, you're right. There's no more ideal circumstance. There's barely even the new normal. This is worst case scenario for, for many organizations. And uh, and planning for that in an honest and transparent way is, is what nonprofits of all shapes and sizes need to undertake. And I think the sooner they do that, the sooner that they can restore their organization's health and get to that recovery phase. My concern for Nonprofits and for profits is that they're going to wait for things to calm down, for for businesses to reopen and and life to return to to that quote unquote normal. But I don't believe that nonprofits have the the luxury of waiting until things settle down. There's a necessity to ask some hard questions, and if you can get through this assessment and evolutionary phase, which will in many ways require you to pivot, require your your organization to, to adopt changes, then you can shorten 
that journey to health, shorten that journey to recovery. And I broke it down recently in a, in a recent blog post um, to six questions, six questions that an organization and their leadership need to be asking. And the answers to these questions will really help in that short term, not only planning, but, but prioritization. And it starts with understanding the real financial impact. Any organization needs to have the data as to the impact of whether it be canceling a convention, discontinuing an in-person training course, whatever it may be, whatever is being impacted, you have to quantify the impact of that, that change. And it's understanding that impact against your projections, against your forecasts, and really knowing what the new year looks like without all of those revenue streams. Many organizations have year-round fundraising campaigns or dues invoicing. If, if you're in progress in those, those collection efforts, don't stop. Rephrase them, change your messaging, appeal to what's happening in the world, but you can't, you can't stop. You have to continue pursuit of the raw materials, the people and the revenue and the donations that allow you to, to pursue your mission. But you need to have a true understanding of your, your financial reality, not only for quarter two, quarter three, but for the entire taxable year, whatever that may be. So the first step you have is what is the real financial impact? Get an assessment there. Don't wait to do that. And message manager listeners, it is a, a function of our brains, the amygdala, the lizard brain, that when we have a fear impulse, when we have anxiety and uncertainty, we all get affected this way. Our instinct is to stop. <laughs> Either just run away or, or we're not sure quite what to do. We often don't do anything. And I think, Elisa, your guidance here is very good, very prescient in that, uh, look, this is uncomfortable and there's a lot of uncertainty, but you do need to, to have some action and not to simply to wait. The second step that you have here is assessing how members' needs have changed. And when you say members, that can include you know, your staff, your volunteers, your whole community, those whom you serve, how do you recommend that go through that assessment about changing needs? And this may very well be where the greatest opportunity lies. If it is a member, let's say you are a dental association, if this is an opportunity to assess the new needs of, of that audience, not only tomorrow, but next year, how has that changed given all this? What will that audience be required? What will their challenge be? So putting yourself in, in your, your donor's shoes, your member's shoes, um, your leader's shoes, and, and seeing the, the pandemic through their eyes so that you can serve, so that you can develop products, programs, services that will address those needs. This is your opportunity to use and leverage the uncertainty of this time and the new demands of this time to make your organization relevant and to potentially even pursue new revenue streams, new opportunities for, for engagement. The third step out of the six is taking a look at your investments and investment policy and see is it positioned appropriately at this time. The number of people may say, investments? What happened to those? But uh, there are some things uh, that have been in place as well as a, a strategy that's there. So how do you in this very turbulent time, how do you 
recommend that we take a look at that investment strategy and the and the positioning in light of current reality. Yeah, governance policies are never sexy, and investment policies are are often on a shelf, dusty, forgotten, or you know, unfortunately, in many cases, non-existent. But this is the opportunity to develop one and develop one that can be responsive to crisis situations or bring out your investment policy, dust it off and and use it to give you some some guardrails. Your board of directors is often not made up of CPAs or financial advisors. So utilize your your investment policy to help you position the organization and to give your leadership some guidelines. But more importantly, is this an opportunity if your your investment and reserve funds are already diversified? Great. But this is an opportunity to ensure the security of those funds more than ever. Reserve funds are are the top thing that boards of directors are asking their CEOs to give them an update on is where do we stand? How much money do we have left in those investment funds? You need to know what those numbers are. You need to know what the opportunity is to to leverage liquid assets to utilize this bear market to your advantage and then make permanent those type of decisions in an investment policy that may be triggered by a certain drop or may be triggered by a certain national action or crisis like, like a pandemic. You also have another uh, very important consideration about how leadership can expressly support their staff and uh, their staff colleagues knowing that uh, these are people who have a lot of uncertainty. They don't know what's going to be going on, but they're your core, right? And knowing that your organization, your not-for-profit still has an indispensable role. They're going to need to be going to need to be emerging from this in a healthy way on the other side. So what are you seeing as some good practices for reaching out to staff, supporting them, listening to them, and, and trying to hold that part of the organization together? Again, I, in this case, I, I encourage people to think beyond just remote working. This isn't just about giving your, your staff a VPN or a laptop and, and sending them on their way. This is about supporting them and their families to the greatest extent possible for your organization. If this is about giving them an opportunity to engage with each other through virtual team meetings, through shared stories, helping each other navigate this, not only as staff, but as people, that in turn will help them better serve your constituency. So yes, it's it's everything from letting them stay home when they're sick to helping them work from home, to helping understand and over communicating with them what's going on with the organization, what the realities are, what this means for the short and medium term. Staff that are confident in their organization's direction are more confident and, and able to, to contribute individually. And I would think an opportunity to, to continue to build empathy and loyalty and, uh, and, and some new ideas as well as you go along, which leads us to your step five out of six, which I was interesting as well, is looking at opportunities that this presents, which I, I sense, Elisa, you would recommend that, that leaders and leadership teams take a look at past assumptions? Are there things that maybe we don't need? Maybe there's some new technologies that we've been putting off that we might need to incorporate and add in. Maybe there's some pet projects that really were kind of a force fit that don't have a place in a new normal. 
I think there are lots of different considerations here. So when, when you think of new opportunities to either invest or divest, what are some of the things that you're seeing? This is the concept of, of never letting a good crisis go to waste. And <laughs> internally, especially with nonprofits, you will find an archive of pet projects, an archive and, and a sustaining culture of how things have always been done. And this opportunity, because discretionary spending will need to be analyzed, because resources and bandwidth will need to be considered, this is an opportunity to look internally to see what is priority, to rank based on return on investment of the membership or the donors, and put down those sacred cows. This is, is not the time to put money or people into those things that you knew were already questionable, had already passed their prime. Whatever mechanism of internal assessment you have, and if you don't have one, there are, there are tools and templates for that, but assess what's going on and realize that last year and the way programs worked and the services that were offered and the things that donors and members responded to are going to be dramatically different this year and potentially every year moving forward. So that matrix of change and uncertainty give you an opportunity as a leader to assess the value and importance of of some of these legacy offerings. They may not be serving your organization well. You may have already known that in your gut. And this is simply your chance to present to your board and your staff, I'll call it an easy out an easy out to say, yes, let's let's discontinue, let's sunset, let's put that on hold until we have a return to normal resources. And what has value will rise to the top and, and be a necessity in, in your short and medium term. Sure. Which brings us to a final step, which is making some judgments about what's temporary and what might need to be permanent. What are the, the changes that would need to be more durable and long-term within the organization in, in response to all this and coming out the, the other side as, as vibrant and relevant as ever. Right. You know, I've heard a lot, of, uh, a lot of staff, a lot of leaders talking about the changes that they're making. And in some ways, the changes have been positive. And in some ways, some of the changes aren't, aren't working out as well. But the truth And the real sticking power here of these innovations and these changes that have been made are are making them permanent within your organization moving forward. I'll take the example of remote work. There are a multitude of organizations, maybe even a majority, who had not previously had a, a remote working policy. And now they are jumping into that pool in the deep end and and sending their staff home. What's learned from this experience needs to be discussed we have to ask ourselves what did work, what didn't work, and then make permanent those policies, those, those behaviors that are, will be undertaken on a daily basis, under crisis, whatever it may be. If we're not learning from these circumstances and then internalizing those actions and those decisions into our board governance, our operations manuals, standard operating procedures, documentation, our staff handbooks, we have to go back and update these documents and these these governing policies to reflect what we've learned, to reflect the, the decisions that we've had to make that have turned out to be the right ones. If we don't learn from this situation, 
so much will have been lost, so much opportunity, so much potential innovation. And if two or three years from now, nonprofits are looking at themselves saying, oh, what did we do back when that pandemic happened? That was that worked out pretty well. If everyone just backslides into where they were before and doesn't use this opportunity to to learn and evolve, that will be one of the greatest tragedies of this pandemic. Yes. And Elisa, I, I certainly don't have any grand predictions. I suspect this is going to be different for different organizations, but the future is not going to be, if we just even look at the the limited case of in-person work and meetings versus remote slash virtual work and meetings, it's not going to go completely back to the way things were. But then I don't think it's going to be, hey, we're just going to all be remote virtual because people are social animals and and there's great value there as well. There's going to be some sort of hybrid. There's going to be some sort of mix in the middle Again, where that shakes out and how we organize and how we operate and how we raise money and how we govern ourselves, that will be different for different organizations. But I think uh, to your point, taking a look at what works, what were the trade-offs, what can we learn from, and then are there areas where we get back to some ways that have people being more comfortable as well? Would, would you tend to agree? I would. And I, I would encourage organizations not to feel like they have to fit into one bucket or the other exclusively. You mentioned hybrid. And if you truly understand your audience and who you're trying to serve, that's where your answer lies. What do they need? How do they feel after after all of this is, is quote unquote over? What are they comfortable with and how can you continue to best serve them? Different audiences, different donor bases, different industries that you're serving are, are all going to, to react and need something different after, after this is over. This is an opportunity for organizations to recover differently in service to that audience. And Elisa, just one more question, one more area where I think you might have some some great guidance and comfort for our listeners, who many of whom are in their own businesses, they run their own teams, they run a, a small business, maybe they're part of a larger organization. They're probably involved in an industry association, they may serve on boards and volunteer for a, a number of other organizations. So they're all, they're all in this to varying degrees. And one of the the keys at this point is to is to have wise counsel. And that wise counsel probably takes different forms. Uh, your colleagues within the organization, friends in the in the community, certainly the people that you're closest to, and others who may just have some good guidance. You're dealing with with leaders at various levels within the not-for-profit world, again, all the way from the, the executive directors and the staff leadership and the volunteer leadership to the people who are on the boards that serve part-time. Everybody's trying to figure all of this out. Any guidance in terms of what makes for a wise counsel these days when there are a lot of voices, a lot of advice out there? What are you advising and what are you talking to friends and clients about? It's funny. It's it's a balance between decisiveness and being willing to make a mistake. I've been told by by my mentors, and I, I've been you know reading articles as well in the nonprofit space that there will be a certain amount of forgiveness during and after this crisis. That if you try something, whether it be moving your your trade show online or whatever it may be, and it doesn't work, you know you blame it on the coronavirus. But at the same time, you, we need to be decisive. 
These organizations, their staff, their leaders, their donors are looking for a certain speed and confidence in, in the new direction that's been chosen. So I would, I would encourage organizations to take that time to conduct the assessment, to have those conversations and uh, be as certain in the data that you have. Make sure that data is current and be decisive in the changes and the, the reactions that you, you have to have but it's not permanent. We're all going to make it through this and your organizations will have an opportunity to reevaluate and to continue that evolution on your way to recovery. So the decisions you need to make now need to be strong, need to be decisive and, and have a purpose, of course, but don't feel that you'll be held to them forever. Wise advice. That's Elisa Brewer-Pratt, and uh, Elisa, we will have links, of course, in the show description in terms of your blog posts and LinkedIn profiles and all of ways that we can keep in touch with you. But uh, if you would just tell our listeners here ways that you would be open to connect, answer questions, and ways, again, that we can keep up with you as we go through this path together. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. I'd love for anyone to connect on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And if you'd like to subscribe to my newsfeed and uh, and receive things like blog posts and white papers, then uh, you can sign up for that on my website at brewerprattsolutions.com. Thank you so much for this. Real pleasure to, to have you on the podcast. And Elisa, I'm sure we'll We'll want to have you back in the future as whatever this next level of normal begins to emerge. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Manager Message Podcast. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. And thanks to you for joining us on the podcast. Whether you are a returning message manager listener, perhaps this is your first time in. Some listeners tell me they're finding us through Good Pods, a new app and community of podcast listeners. We had the co founder, JJ Ramberg, on this podcast in episode 73. Whatever the case, I hope you continue to find ideas for honing your message, growing your base of messengers, and growing your business. You can dig in more deeply by reading or listening to my new book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it wherever business books are sold, and you can even check out a free sampler on my website, jimcarr.com. That's K-A-R-R-H, at least in my case. I welcome your connection on LinkedIn, and I'd love to hear your ideas for future guests and topics. You can email me directly at jim at jimcard.com, and my direct mobile number is also on the website. So let's talk. And if your team or your company would like to make your everyday customer conversations a true growth engine for the business, then we can examine some options. I have a number of message leadership and growth programs, which I deliver virtually and in person when we're back to meeting in person again so that you and everyone around your business can likewise be comfortable and effective in their customer conversations in all of the ways that they will be happening. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.